Well, we've had a really rich time over the last while, particularly in our series that we did or that was entitled Peace of Mind. And I want to really thank Pastor Mabatu, uh, Debbie, and Neil that spoke over the last three weeks and shared such wonderful messages with us and so much that we could draw near around as a community about our mental health and our peace of mind and being a community that grows in our support of each other as we pursue God's purposes in all of our life. And, and I think there's a natural progression that is taking place on from that, where we, today we're starting with our series on prayer. And we want to, as a community, respond to the Lord and say, here we are, Lord. We want to be a community that prays. And I, I really felt in my heart as I was preparing for this time and, and just sensing the Lord and, and what he was saying that what I'd like us to do is to not really see this series of prayer as a challenge to pray, but an invitation to pray. Because I think there's not one of us here today that would say, my prayer life is perfect, but it's probably lacks. It probably needs something. And, and when we talk about prayer, we could come at a, in, in a way that makes us feel a little bit hesitant. But you know, prayer is such a privilege for us. And the Lord is inviting us to respond to Him and to spend time with Him and to get to know Him in prayer. And, and I hope that as we do this over the next probably about eight weeks, that there will be really a stirring in our midst of a responsiveness to pray. The reality is that people pray. Everybody prays. I know there are people that claim that they don't pray. But I think if you really had to look carefully at their lives, you'll find moments where even they prayed. I think everybody prays. If you go far back in human history, as far as they can go, to find the first evidence of human settlement, they find evidence of prayer. They find people engaging with some higher power. Today, people pray. We see pilgrimages that take place all over the world where people en masse or even small groups will go to specific places to go and pray and be with what they consider to be God. We, we see around hospital beds, families pray. We see moms and dads at the birth of a newborn pray. We see businesses cry out to the Lord when they're in trouble. People pray. It's just a fact of humanity. It's part of our human experience. Psychologist David G. Benner said, prayer is the soul's native language. We pray. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. If you find yourself alive, you will at some point in your life find yourself praying. Whether it's a short one word prayer, perhaps a prayer like why, that is shouted out at the expanse. Whether it is a detailed, well-worded, recorded prayer that is part of a religious event. Whether it's one person or many, we pray. To be human is to pray. We do it all the time. And it is for that reason that the Bible talks so much about prayer. It's amazing to look at the scripture 
And while the scripture definitely gives instruction about prayer, most of the comments in scripture about prayer is just a record of people praying. There are over 650 recorded prayers in the Bible. The Bible as a record of human activity from a particular view showing us human development and human action tells us that people pray. Whether it was believing people or unbelieving people, the Bible shows us that people pray. One of the greatest people or the greatest person that ever walked the earth prayed, and that was Jesus. And because he prayed, people noticed it. People around him, people that associated with Jesus noticed how much he prayed. They noticed a rhythm, a regularity, a life of prayer. And because they saw this in the life of Jesus, there was a particular day where his friends, those who were spending the most time with him, came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, as it's recorded for us in Luke 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. These were disciples were not foreign to prayer. They've, they've been taught about prayer. They've seen people praying from childhood. They were comfortable with prayer. They knew prayer. But on this particular occasion, after having watched Jesus pray, they recognized that there was something different about Jesus and his prayer life. And so they came to Jesus on a given day, one of them probably representing the rest of the group, saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We're a praying people, but teach us to pray. Show us what it means to pray. And I love Jesus' response for many different reasons. First of all, I love the fact that his response is so short. Because I don't know about you, but I, you know, I like it short when it comes to instructions. In the original language, Jesus' response, as is recorded for us in Luke 11, is 31 words. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to read it together just now, and perhaps there's somebody here that'll be like me, that I've said 31, and they're going to start counting the words. There's 34 if you put it in English, but 31 in the original language. It's just about a tweet that Jesus gave them. He didn't give them a four-day seminar. He gave them a tweet when he taught them how to pray. I love that, isn't that fantastic? And what I also love about his response is his response begins like this, when you pray. So again, Jesus affirms that we pray. He's not saying you should pray and if you pray, he says when you pray, you are gonna pray. You're gonna find yourself sometime in your life praying and when you pray, pray like this. Now I think Jesus was encouraging them to pray more but he was doing it from the basis of you are, you are going to pray. Prayer is your experience. And then he began and he said these words. And Luke's 11's version of it from verse 2. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins for we, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. A short answer. But in that answer, there's such richness. Justin Welby said that this answer that Jesus gave, this instruction, was simple enough that a child could understand it, yet complicated enough that it could sustain a lifetime of prayer. 
There's so much in this. And over this series, over the next weeks, we're going to delve into many of the different facets. But let me today focus on one facet of prayer that Jesus gives us. And it is this. Prayer is first of all, before it is anything else, relational. Our Father. Our Father. Jesus said, say the following. If you want to pray, begin with our Father. Prayer can be many things. Prayer happens for many different reasons. But from a scriptural perspective, and perhaps as Christians, we need to understand this. And it puts us in a little bit of a different category than any other religion that would instruct its people to pray. We pray because of a relationship. Our Father. We're coming into a relationship when we pray. You see, probably most of us, prayer happens in our lives because of a need. We find ourselves in some trouble. We find ourselves in some lack, some crisis, some disaster, something that is short, something that is not right. And then we pray and we say, I need help. And that's probably most of the time why we pray and why we come to prayer. But Jesus says, before prayer is crying out for need. Prayer is actually a relationship. And he's calling us to that place to go further than just praying because we need, but to go to praying because we want to know and know someone and have an intimate relationship. Isn't it fantastic to know that you and I are not praying because we're trying to speak to some distant deity that is actually not really interested in us, that is occupied or consumed with other things, or that is angry with us or disposed negatively towards us. But when I pray, I say, my Father. I'm talking to the one that loves me. The one who's waiting for me to talk to him. Whose attention is on me whose focus is on me, who knows what's going on in my thoughts even before I verbalize them. He already knows them. He knows me. He's sitting on the edge of his chair waiting, saying, speak to me. Jesus came and encouraged us, invited us to say, talk to your father. He's waiting for you to talk to him. You don't have to do all sorts of rituals and all sorts of steps to get God to pay attention to you. His attention is already upon you. So when you pray, step in. Just our Father. Take for granted that He's there. He's with you. And isn't that the beautiful thing that prayer is? Prayer is a recognition of God wanting to have a relationship with us. John Mueller said it in the following way, the communion of a believing heart with God. That's how he described prayer. Prayer is the communion of a believing heart with God. John Calvin described it in a different way, which may be a little bit awkward for us to hear in our modern sensitivities. He said it's a, a kind of intercourse between God and men. He was trying to show to us there's an intimacy in prayer. Prayer is coming near to someone. Prayer is 
being enfolded. Is there such a word? By someone. Embraced by someone. That's what prayer is. Prayer is having relationship with God. Yes, there are many facets of prayer. Yes, there are many things to consider about prayer. But at its core, at its base, it's relationship. It's not a transaction. It's a relationship that God is inviting us into. My definition that I just wrote as I was preparing for this is the following. Prayer is the created person humbly coming humbly to the creator in response to the invitation for relationship. I'm created. I'm finite. I depend on something outside of myself for my existence, for my being, for my life. And that's someone that created me, that is all-powerful, that needs nothing, comes to me and stretches out a hand and says, I want you to know me. And I respond to that through prayer, to coming to him in prayer. Over the series, we're going to consider some of the other things that also happens in prayer. Prayer is adoration. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our prayer is petition. Our prayer is intercession sometimes. Sometimes it feels like our prayer is unanswered. What, what do we do with that? Sometimes prayer is contemplative. It is a reflection. It is a meditation. It's listening. And sometimes prayer is spiritual warfare. And we're going to consider all of those things. But when we do those things, they come out of relationship. Relationship with God. We are using Pete Gregg's material as a, as a support for this series. And in his material, he offers... Three things that he says. If you want to have a develop a prayer life, do these three things. And so I want to share these three things with you. In this invitation to prayer, and then I'm going to share a little bit about every one of them, and then I'm going to be done. The three things that he says we have to do if we want to respond to, to Jesus and learn to pray from Jesus and with Jesus, it's keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple, keep it real. And keep it up. And I think we see these three things present as Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. And by the way, I think it's really worth noting that these disciples that came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, became great prayer warriors. Peter would have impact that you and I still feel today because of his prayer life. He came to the point in his prayer life where his mere presence would cause people to be healed. He saw the dead raised. John, the disciple that Jesus loved, learned from Jesus to pray. And we have a record in the book of Revelation of his experience with God on the Isle of Patmos. Who knows what is ahead for you and me if we just come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. I want to be honest with you, I, I'm saying that to the Lord right now. Lord, teach me to pray. I've, I've prayed for, intentionally for more than 40 years now. Probably 45 years. But I feel like a beginner. I feel like a snot-nosed upstart in the Lord's presence when it comes to prayer. I, I say, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me, Lord. 
I come with emptiness. I come with nothing. And Jesus understood that. That's why in, in Matthew's version of him teaching the, Lord, the, the disciples to pray, he begins first by saying a few things, a few pointers around when you want to pray, there's a couple of things that you need to be aware of. And, he, and this is recorded for us in Matthew 6, verse 5 to 8. And I want to read the paraphrased version of Eugene Peterson in the message. This is not a Bible translation. This is somebody's interpretation of what Jesus said. So I read it in that light, and please understand that. But I think he puts it so well. Matthew 6, verse 5 to 8 from the message. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with. And he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Keep it up. Let's talk about keeping it simple. So sometimes as human beings in our drama of life and the struggles we go through and the pain that is so real for us, we come to God with like a theatrical production of prayer, trying to in some way win his favor and attention through our eloquence and through our conviction and through our commitment. And we think the more I can pray, the more God will have to respond to my prayer. Jesus says, don't make a show of your prayer. Keep it simple. By simple, I don't think he necessarily is against complicated words that describe complicated feelings. But I think what he's saying is, be humble in your prayer. Be humble in your prayer. Prayer in its essence requires humility. The praying person is the person that understands they actually come with nothing before God and requires God to be gracious because I don't deserve anything from him. Paul puts it like this for us in Romans 8 verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. When we pray, by very definition, we are weak. Sometimes the weakest you will feel in your life is when you pray. Because when I pray, it is an expression of my weakness before God. It is an expression of me saying, Lord, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the answers. I don't know. This is beyond my control. It's beyond my scope of influence, Lord. I can't change this. 
I come to you in the simplicity of a heart that is weak, in the honesty of a heart that recognizes I can't impress you. You see, sometimes pride slips into our prayer lives, doesn't it? Pride meaning, I think I can get it done without God. I think actually I can be good enough. I think actually I can do it. If God will just help me, then I can do it. If God will just come along and work with my program, then I'll get it done. There's no place for that in prayer. Prayer is that coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm weak. When you don't know what to say, Paul says, the Holy Spirit is given to us. And he prays in groans. Not even words, not even language. When I was in, in the US now at the conference that I was speaking at, it was a conference on prayer. And Stuart Bell, our dear friend, he, in his session that he spoke, he spoke about how God delights in even our feeble attempts at praying. That sometimes we pray and it is so bad, but God delights even in that. This is my Bible. I've had this Bible for about 30 years. I bought it in the UK when I was visiting my mom there once and saved money. And, and uh, so it's very dear to me. Now, I'm not the kind of person, for reasons I don't have to share now, that write in my Bible and take notes and highlight in my Bible. I don't do that. But this is my Bible. And I... I don't really use it in public, I use it more in, in private space, because you know what's the wonderful thing? It's great to have all the Bibles you want on your iPad and read it, but the, you know what this doesn't do? It doesn't give messages while you're reading the Bible. It doesn't have little pop-ups and little reminders that come in. So I've sort of returned to just reading this. I know what I'm going to get. So this is my Bible. So I, I look after it pretty well. I try and keep it in a good space. Except for, and I don't know if the camera is going to pick this up, but this happened, can you see that on camera, on the first page of my Bible. There's some pink squiggles there, some drawings or writings of no sense, complete nonsense, that um, when I first saw it upset me because it... Uh, sort of defaced my Bible a bit. And so I went to the 18-month-old individual <laughs> who perpetrated this crime on my Bible and asked him, my oldest son, why did you do this? And his response was something of, but I wanted to write you something. But now he can't write. So... At first, I was quite upset with him, but now this is one of the most treasured features of my Bible, is that it has his squiggles in it. Not only that, he proceeded to tear out Hebrews 11 <laughs> of Hebrews 13. So if there's a gap in my theology, it's, this, it's because of this. So Neil, please always check that my Hebrews 13, or I can carry this with me wherever I go. So. But even that, is, tr is special to me because it's my son. Do you know that God even loves your feeble attempts at communicating with him, of coming near to him, of saying, here I am. 
Do you know that our best description of the problem is a little bit more, a little bit less probably than pink squiggles in God's understanding of the reality of things. Our value of our prayer is not firstly in how clever we are and how good we understand things. It is in the fact that we are coming to our Father. If our language is not perfect, it's okay because the Spirit prays with groans. God is saying, if you just groan in my direction, it's enough for me. If you just turn to me, I delight. I delight in you. I delight in your prayers because your prayers is you stepping close to me. Sometimes we can feel like we don't want to pray because we're not good enough. That's exactly why we should pray, because we're not good enough. And it's okay. We can learn how to pray better. We can be eloquent in our prayers. That's great. I'm so thankful for the eloquent prayers of saints that have gone before, that have been recorded for us. I'm so grateful for David's prayers, for the prayers of saints that I can read that are very eloquent in their prayers, and I see the presence of God in that. But sometimes I can't do that. All I can do is groan. And God says, it's okay. I delight in your attempts. Just like I delight in my children. When they try and make you breakfast, but it's inedible. We delight. Our Father is just the same way. We can be simple in our prayer secondly let's be real let me remind you of how Eugene Peterson says says it here's what I want you to do find a quiet secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage prayer is honesty prayer is us being very honest with God, allowing ourselves to be stripped completely bare before God and just saying, this is me. David is such a great example through the Psalms. I I earlier this year read through all the Psalms and I found myself so engaged with the rawness of his emotions as described in the Psalms. He said things to God that you should never say to God. Lord, will you, will you wipe out my enemies and crush them to dust? <laughs> and it's, but you know what's amazing to me? He would start a psalm like that, but he never ends it like that. He always gets realigned somewhere along the way. But he wasn't afraid to share with God his feelings. He was honest. He was real before God. I recently had to repent of a unhealthy reality in my prayer life. My personal weakness when I'm dealing with stress is I shut down. When I'm going through difficult times and when I have to deal with a lot and feel a bit overwhelmed and and particularly as longer it goes on and there's more things that I have to try and find solutions and answers for and I can't and I've just, you know, I begin to shut down areas of my life 
And so that I can take energy and not spend it in those places, but put it into the places that I need so that I can just keep standing and keep going and keep doing the right things. My, my struggle is not that I will begin to do the wrong things. It's just I narrow in on just doing absolutely the right things. And um, I got myself into that state. And so even in my prayer life, no, I didn't stop praying. I prayed a lot. I prayed every day. Every day I'd spend time with the Lord. But what I realized was my prayer was all about trying to get answers. I was needing God to help me with certain things. And because he wasn't responding to me in the way that I thought he should and in the timeline, I started being a little passive aggressive. And what I started doing was saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to, I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to stay true. I'm going to do everything you ask me to do. But don't try and have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with me. I don't have the capacity for that. And so I just called my heart to be a little bit, I'm trying to find nice words for my rebellious heart. I was just trying to just like, I was a little miffed with God. I didn't know it at the time, but I, I sort of looking back, I realized it. And I just kept my heart out of the conversation. My relationship with God became pretty functional, became pretty much about the issues. And fortunately, by the Lord's grace, I recognized that. And so I, I prayed, spent time with the Lord, and I just came and repented. I needed to repent to my wife, obviously, because first I do it with the Lord, and then guess who I do it secondly with? Okay, but let's not go there. <laughs> but I, uh, I just say, Lord, I, I ask your forgiveness. But in, in that prayer, I saw my rebellion, my pride. Because this is how I prayed. Lord, I'm so sorry for having done this. But I do want you to notice, Lord, that I stayed faithful. <laughs> I didn't do the wrong thing. I didn't give up. I kept. I was a good soldier. And in that moment when I prayed that, I realized there's my problem right there. I think I can win God's favor in some way. Like I need to win it. I've already got it. And so I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. My heart stinks. But you know what amazed me was the response I felt from the Lord. And this is subjective, but this is the response I felt from the Lord in that moment as I prayed there. First of all, I felt the Lord say to me, that's okay, I appreciated every prayer you prayed. I still loved it. I had more for you, but I didn't discard what you gave. And I loved it. I was in every moment with you. I had no frustration with you. I love you. Even your feeble attempts, I valued. And I appreciated them. That blew me away, first of all. Because I knew my heart wasn't in the right place. But the Lord said, just the fact that you called out to me, I still value that. And the second thing I felt the Lord say to me is just simply, let's go further. We don't have to talk about that too much. Let's just go on. Because I love you. I'm your father. You can rest in me. When I pray, I'm not praying from fear. I'm praying from rest. 
I'm not praying because I'm, try, I'm trying to avoid a catastrophe. I'm praying because I'm resting in the presence and in the favor and in the goodness of my Father. Wanting to see His will done in a situation. And it's shifted and it has begun to shift. Just my time in the Lord's presence. And honestly, that was a shift that I didn't initiate. He did that by His faithfulness. So I don't know where you are in your prayer life. But I want to invite you. Be real with your father. Be real. And then the last thing is keep it up. Keep it up. In his book, Pete Gregg talks about the ancient Celtic Christians that understood very well that the Holy Spirit can saturate places as well as people. I know we believe, and rightly so, that the Holy Spirit, I am the temple of God, and he fills me. We believe that God's presence is here because we are here. But can we also recognize in Acts 2 verse 1 and 2, it says, And as they were gathered in the upper room, the Lord filled the room. The place where they were praying was filled by the Holy Spirit. Before the Spirit filled the people, the Spirit filled the place. There are places in our lives that can become our meeting places with God. These Celtic Christians describe those places as thin places. A place where the, where the membrane that we feel that separates us from God becomes thin and easy to step through. Now, I know and you know that from God's end, there's no separation between me and Him. But I think we're also human enough to recognize that from our end, we sometimes feel like there's a resistance between us and God, isn't there? Sometimes that resistance is little. Sometimes it feels like the brass heavens that we talk about. Like God is completely absent. He is not because he cannot be. God can never be absent from you. All of him is present in every place. Right now we cannot have more of God in this place. But we can certainly be more aware of him. And we can step more into him. And that's what a thin place is. So it was these saints' practice to say there needs to be spaces and places in your life that becomes your regular place where you meet with God because those places will become your thin places. So can I say to you, for instance, this is our community's thin place. You can meet with God every day of the week, every moment you want, but we meet with God here. We come together to meet here. Next year, Hatfield will be 90 years old. 90 from its inception as a plant out of the Central Baptist Church, this little South Street Church, for 90 years. We are the continuation of a community that 52 Sundays a year have met to worship, to fellowship, to study the word together. Pastor Harry was around for many of those years, not all of them, and others, Auntie Winnie, and it's such a privilege. I am the beneficiary of saints that have built a thin place. This is our thin place. Nowadays we include our online people in our thin place. As you come and gather online with us on a Sunday, you can experience that place becoming a thin place. If it becomes a place of habit, of rhythm, of frequency. And so the encouragement is not only for us to have a thin, thin place, but for you to have a thin place. Your thin place can be a chair 
that you meet with God regularly. It can be your commute to work that becomes a focused time where you invite God's presence and where you with simplicity and reality meet with him. It can be going to the office before anybody else gets there and before the distractions and the busyness and the emails where you just sit and say, Lord, I'm with you. It can be in the garden, it can be wherever, but you and I can build and develop a place. You know what's the value of such a place? It's because there's times where I have nothing. But when I've got a place like that, I just come and sit. In my office, I have a chair. That's my thin place. For Natasha, it's out in the garden. And, and when I sometimes I just go sit in that chair, I don't know what to say or do, but just sitting in that chair is me turning to the Lord without any words having, because that's our chair. Susanna Wesley had a thin place. Do you know what her thin place was? She had 10 children. So the story is told that her husband was the local vicar of the Anglican church. That if you walked past their house, you would sometimes, if you looked through the window, see Susanna Wesley with her 10 children, busy doing homework or doing whatever and playing all around her. And she would have her apron over her head. And for sometimes up to two hours a day, she would sit with her apron over her head. And she would pray. And that was her thin place. Now, her sons changed the world. And it's generally ascribed to the fact that she prayed. John and Charles Wesley. You and I can have a thin place. A thin place is a place of invitation. It's not a place of challenge, firstly. It will challenge you deeper than anything else. But firstly, it's an invitation. It's a privilege. A privilege to have God say, I want to talk with you every day. Yes, prayer does need discipline. Yes, prayer does require that there's some habit. But first of all, prayer is simply a response to an invitation. And it is that invitation that wells up within us, that bubbles up within us. I look at those bubbles that we have on the stage there. Worship team, you guys can join me. And I believe that's prophetically the Lord saying to us, prayer is bubbling up in this community. It's beginning to bubble up in a fresh new way. In our gathered and in our scattered places. Jesus is saying, come, come. That beautiful verse of Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. If you're tired and weary, come, learn from me. Prayer is a place of learning. But we only learn in prayer because we come empty. We come simply. Now, a lot of the times I don't come empty. I come full of nonsense. But that's okay. The Lord leads me from my nonsense to the place of surrender. I come as I am, but I come. And I just sense the Lord saying to you today, come. So won't you stand with me? Where's Mike? Mike, will you begin to just, as you can, just play for us, thanks. Won't you quiet your heart for a moment? Can you right now just drop all the frustration, all the pretense? 
Wherever your prayer life is right now, perhaps you're really thankful for what's going on in your prayer life, or perhaps you're at a place where you're going, I don't even want to talk about prayer, I just feel bad. That's okay. Can we all just come and open up our hearts? Come Holy Spirit. In whatever way that you feel, just open up your heart right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are present here, fully present with us as a community and with every individual, young and old, you are present. We turn to you, Lord. If all I can muster is a groan, thank you that that's enough. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just begin to receive the free presence of Jesus by His Spirit. Don't look for an answer now first. Don't look for a solution. Don't even try and tell Him what it is. He knows. Just come. Just say, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Don't even try and describe to Him your failure. Just say, here I am. Just be like the tax collector that just came and said to Jesus, here I am. Here I am. If you're watching online, won't you just find yourself in a space right now where if you're watching live with us or later in the week or some other time, if you're on radio listening to this message, just find a moment to say, here I am. I'm your son. I'm your daughter in whom you are well pleased. Forgive me for my grandstanding, for trying to impress you, for trying to lay claim to any reason why you should hear my prayers. Because it's not needed, you already hear my prayers. Forgive me for trying to describe to you what you already know and making it all about me. I want to make it about you, Lord. I want to know you. You know me already. I want to know you. In that, you will tell me who I am. And you will make me known to me. But first, I want to know you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. Come Holy Spirit. I'm going to dismiss the service, but I want to do it in a way that allows for us to continue to engage with him as if we can. I know there's commitments and children and all of that. But I feel we have to linger in a space for a little bit here. So those of you that have received the invitation to go to the Connect Lounge, you can go there and they will receive you and spend a bit of time with you and they'll be there for a while. If you need prayer, you can come to the front. Somebody will pray with you. But you can also come to the front and just come and kneel and say, Here I am, Lord. You can stay in your seat and you can just stand before Him. 
or if you need to quietly just slip out if you don't mind but I ask the team to just lead us in a song where we're just going to go here I am Lord but officially the service is closed thank you for being with us but let's make space for the Lord those of you that have joined us online may the Lord bless you I don't know if the feed will stay on but we're just going to just be with the Lord for a bit